of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. And I ask God that you would help us. Help us as your people right here on the corner of Bellevue and Community to see the new year, the new opportunities that lay before us as an opportunity to bring you glory for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Gracious God and King, I pray that you would meet us here. Holy Spirit, would you empower your people to hear from your servant this morning. And I pray that you would calm my heart. Grant us this day the joy of our salvation. And may we walk away from this place united together in the new year as we look forward to the work that you have for us to do. Bless us now. And God, if there is someone in here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would come to know you before it's eternally too late. Even if by this morning you could reach your hand down by grace and draw them to yourself, that you would do so. For it's in Christ's name and for his sake we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. For those of you who may be joining with us for the first time, the first Sunday of each year, we as a family go back and we remember the year that has passed and we lay down where we hope to go in the year to come. That's why it's entitled, The State of the Church. This is a very different type of message here at Pine Summit because we place such a value on the verse-by-verse study of Scripture. And it is really uncomfortable for me individually and pastorally. But I don't think it's necessarily unbiblical. As a matter of fact, I think it is very biblical. It's modeled for us throughout Scripture. If you look at Scripture itself in its totality, it it itself in, in the old and the new, it reminds us as the people of God of who God is and what He's done in history. In the Testaments, we see many celebrations set aside all for the purpose of reminding God's people of where they have come from and pointing them to what God has done for them. Specifically, I would even say in the New Testament, in Christ Himself. We do not come into these mornings, into these moments, wishing to sweep our struggles under the carpet to provide some false sense of accomplishment. Because we as God's people can celebrate our successes and we can address our struggles because we are able to praise God for both. We are reminded that he took one man by the name of Moses from a palace and put him in a desert. And we took another man by the name of Joseph and took him from the desert and put him in a palace. You see, God has a way of taking people from where they are to where he will use them for his glory. I desire, we desire to model corporately what we want for each of us individually. What I mean by that is we can admit our failures and our shortcomings and we can celebrate our successes because our identity is not found in what we have done but in the grace and mercy and goodness of our Savior Jesus. So we come this morning and we listen with grace. And if you find yourself here this morning asking what all this has to do with me, especially if you're new, I would say particularly, I would ask that you allow it to draw you to God's grace. In this, 
that our extraordinary holy God uses ordinary people like us for His glory. Second, I would call you to let it demonstrate that since our goal is to be made into the image of Christ, there is nothing off limits for our sanctification in Him. And third, I ask that it will be a real examination and a real vision for our faith family. Because as I've said every year since I've been here, the greatest hindrance to our faith family making disciples last year and this year and the year to come will be each of us who are sitting in these chairs. We have none other to blame. So first, what do we see Nehemiah do in this passage? And I believe he begins by assessing the situation. And that is what we must do. Nehemiah had been a cupbearer to the king. He heard of Jerusalem's destruction. Yet the bad news, listen to me ladies and gentlemen, the bad news didn't cause him to disengage. No, instead, the bad news was the very impetus that created in him a desire to go and to do something. Because when the desire to change is greater than the desire to remain the same, people will change. Nehemiah is then blessed by God to not only be allowed by King Artaxerxes to go back and do something, but it actually was funded by the king himself. And this alone is quite amazing. And upon Nehemiah's arrival, he does something quite simple. And something that I have been doing for the past 15 weeks. Following Nehemiah's example, he wanted to observe what was true. It says he went out all at night and merely observed. And he writes, I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for, for Jerusalem. So my assumption here is that as he's observing, I bet there was a lot of meditation and I bet there was a lot of prayer. As he goes from gate to gate, from place to place, meditating and praying and looking and thinking. So this is what I've been doing. For those of you who may not know, at Pine Summit, our vision is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. We focused on three main environments that are demonstrated for us by Jesus in the making of disciples. First, we gather together every Sunday, like we are this morning, to worship God together and to always rehearse this story. And last year, we tried our best to inform our gatherings around the liturgies given to us in Scripture. Through the faithful preaching of God's Word, we journeyed with Paul on a second missionary journey. We beheld the Lamb from Isaiah, followed by a verse-by-verse -verse study through the entire book of Philippians as we sought to have a contagious joy. We glanced into the theology of disability, and then we looked into a series into the core doctrines of the Reformation that we called the Five Solas, as we looked into the rooting ourselves as a Reformed and a Protestant people. We studied the prophet Joel together, day by day, as we saw the day of the Lord before finishing with this series that we just finished last week on why, why Jesus came at Christmas. And our hope and our prayer as pastors and as preachers here is that the steady diet of God's preach word has been profitable for all of us in the last year. But even the casual observation would inform us that there are some struggles our attendance and our giving has substantially decreased. 
So the assessment is there are two things simultaneously being observed. We are engaging less people in worship, but we acknowledge that our gatherings themselves are becoming more formative to us, especially those who are engaging in it together. can't tell you the stories I've heard about God's Word moving in the lives of His people, stirring them. But yet, ladies and gentlemen, we must be cautious in allowing the Word to stir us, not in obedience and action. So our first environment was our gathering. Our second environment is that we wanted to represent His kingdom in community by being on mission through what we would call our missional communities, by being a family of missionary servants that create a subculture of kingdom living. Again, the assessment is quite perplexing. I've been thinking about this and praying on this for a while. And the truth is, is that as I look at our faith family, we are simply not engaging lostness well in community. But there are some that have experienced great personal growth in the midst of missional community, and for that I have experienced and been told of great things. And then thirdly, we wanted to focus on the most intimate of the three environments, which is our DNAs. Those of you who don't know what that means, it's same-gender triads, three, of, three women, three men, ideally, that discover the truth, D, nurture the heart, N, and act in obedience, A. As we seek to reform our lives around repentance and faith by pursuing Christ and by increasing our gospel fluency with gospel intentionality. And these, this environment, the environment of DNA, has been, without much surprise, by far the most difficult to grow and sustain. You see, real discipleship, life-on-life discipleship, the one that is modeled for us in Scripture, not merely discipleship that is about us learning and getting big heads, but I mean literal, real, life-changing, spirit-filled action of obedience to Christ is so hard to consistently maintain in our distracted and self-focused culture and lives. But we have been busy missionally. I don't want to make it sound like we haven't done things. We have. We have reached many people. We have fed the hungry. We have clothed the naked. We have helped the widows and the orphans. We have, done, we have been to uh, foreign countries in Uganda and Guatemala. We have done so many things. I was just talking to one of our uh, uh, covenant members this morning. We personally... As a faith family, this is not included in what we've given to global missions and our and NAM and IMB and all these things. But I want you to know that we in this church have personally, right here, given aid, listen to this, to 45 states and 34 countries. That's unbelievable. Look how, look at us. Look how itty bitty. We have ministered to so many here locally through the box of food, through the backpack ministry, through all these different ideas that it would take me so much time to review that I think you would just kind of, you would almost get tired of celebrating. So fortunately, I can come to you this morning and say we are not where Nehemiah finds himself. Nehemiah starts by telling them, you see the bad situation we are in. Now we are in a difficult situation here at Pine Summit, no doubt, But Nehemiah says, he starts by telling them, you see this bad situation. He not only declares it, which is kind of what I've just done. You're looking at this going, okay, it's pretty tough. But then he describes it. 
And after he, says, he states the situation, he describes Jerusalem as desolate and the gates burned by fire. The, Jerusalem is desolate and the gates are burned by fire. I would, I would hesitate in saying that we are in a bad situation. I do think we are in a challenging situation. And this type of message that I am preaching this morning and that I am trying to share this morning has the potential to cause the chicken littles, the pessimists, to become very vocal. But an honest reflection on decreases in almost every area of ministry here over the last year with the exception of childbirth and adoption, we've had some kids, yo, and we've adopted some youngins. If we can't grow them by bringing them in, we're going to grow them by birthing them. Praise be to God. But I do want you to know it does lead to some fairly difficult conversations as we assess the truth of the reality we find ourselves. Please, please, please don't misunderstand me. Our gates aren't desolate. Although, huh, a little joke, I could probably draw an analogy to the garage in the Antioch house that if we don't fix quickly, and we will, we will, men, we will fix it will become a problem for us. Or I could talk about the building across the street. Uh, that situation can get desolate pretty quick if we don't get some work on that. Or I could talk about our incessant desire to hoard things. I don't know what it is about us, but we have stuff everywhere. But we are not desolate. Those are jokes. But I wouldn't say we are desolate. Maybe difficult. Our gates are not burned with fire, so we do have that going for us, which is nice. So our quote-unquote bad situation can be mitigated by other factors. But, ladies and gentlemen, I do think we need to be real. Our giving, your giving, is very low. As a percentage and as an average among our people. Your attendance is reducing and it is growing more and more inconsistent. Our faith family is finding more and more ways not to gather with the church than we are trying to gather with the church. We are finding more and more ways so we don't have to be involved in community instead of defaulting to community. We are finding more and more excuses as to why we don't are involved in DNA than as to we need to be involved in DNA. Most of our missional communities have plateaued. Our attendance among guests are an all-time low. Our DNAs, well, I don't want to belabor that point other than to say it's been like pushing rope. I don't know if we're in a bad situation, but at the very least, we could say that we are in a challenging moment in our story. And I have asked many questions surrounding this. Shay will tell you that these are the this is the message every year as my wife that she hates for me to work on because I am so introspective. Asking the questions of why are we here? Why are we where we are? Why are we so challenged? Is it me? If it's not me, what is it? And I want you to understand and believe me when I say this. 
Some of the questions have been asked have been very personal and they have been very painful. But they have been very necessary. So, that's where we are. We're not desolate. Our gates aren't burning with fire. But we are challenged. So the second question you must ask is, what is it that I believe God is placing on my mind, our mind, as elders? So let's move in that direction. First we assess the situation, now I want to advise the people. I want to advise you so that you never think that there's something going on behind closed doors. With unprecedented challenges and changes, you know, perspective is a big deal for me. Perspective is a big deal. How do you see these unprecedented challenges? I see unprecedented challenges and changes that come unprecedented opportunities. We have some decisions to make. Faith family, we can either pity the future... Or we can realize that we are placed here at this moment, at this time, to be the people that God has called us to be in order to create the future and, yes, pay the price for our families and for our posterity. Pay the price for the generations to come. To be men and women who look at our future and say, we may never see the outcome, but we are going to provide a foundation where the future of our community and our faith family will grow and prosper. It will require, I have the words most likely, but I, I, I'm going to scratch that. It will require sacrifice. It will require commitment. And the word that I want you to hear, if you leave here today, it will require discipline. It will require much of our comforts to be removed and to be replaced by Christ alone. So I have one simple call this year. Our call this year is the call to rebuild. Faith family, God has been good to us. Despite our challenges, each of you are here. You have celebrated another birthday. He isn't done with you yet. Some of you, this has been a tough year of prognosis and diagnosis, but He ain't done with you yet. You're not over. God has been good to us, and I ask for each of us to rise and build. I want us to put our hands to good work. I am assured that in this place right now, even as I mention this, because I've been a pastor for too long, I've been in the ministry for too long not to know this, I know in this room, sitting in this chair, there is a Sanballat, there is a Tobiah, and there is a Geshem. You were even sitting in here, and in your heart you were mocking, <laughs> despising, ah. Men who sit among us like wolves in sheep's clothing. Everything seen through the lens of antagonism. And whatever other problems you find, even at this moment your heart scoffs. I ain't no coward. So to you, Samballot, to you, Tobiah, and to you, Geshem, I say what Nehemiah says. 
I am believing by faith that the God of heaven will give us success. And therefore, we as the men here are going to arise and build. And you will have no portion, no right, and no memorial here. There are those in this room who are going to respond, but look how small we are. We can't do. We can't do. We can't do. I am sick and tired of can't. I want us to become men and women of families of there is something great, someone greater in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. One of my favorite poems over the past six months has been by Edgar Guest. I want you to listen to it. And I want you to, to challenge you. Oh my goodness, I want to challenge us. I want us to walk out of here on fire. I want us to walk out of here ready to go to battle, ready to go to war with one another. We go fight an enemy that is after us, a devil that is real, a Satan that is after us, after our hearts, our souls, our families, our communities. If you think I'm the enemy, you've already lost the battle. If you think this, people in here are the enemy, you've all, we've already lost. Listen to this poem. Can't is the worst word that's written or spoken. Doing more harm here than slander and lies. On it is many a strong spirit broken, and with it many a good purpose dies. It springs from the limps of the thoughtless each morning and robs us of courage we need through the day. It rings in our ears like a timely sent warning and lasts when we falter and fail by the way. Kant is the father of feeble endeavor, the parent of terror and half-hearted work. It weakens the efforts of artisans clever and makes of the toiler an indolent shirk. It poisons the soul of the man with a vision. It stifles in infancy many a plan. It greets honest toiling with open derision and mocks at the hopes and dreams of a man. Can't is a word none should speak without blushing. To utter it should be a symbol of shame. Ambition and courage is da it, it daily is crushing. It blights a man's purpose and shortens his aim. Despise it with all your hatred of error. Refuse it the lodgment it seeks in your brain. Arm against it as a creature of terror and all that you dream of someday you may gain. Can't is the word that is foe to ambition, an enemy ambush to shatter your will. Its prey is forever the man with a mission and it bows but to courage and patience and skill. Hate it with hatred that's deep and undying for once it is welcome twill break any man. Whatever the goal you are seeking, keep trying. And answer that demon by saying, I can. I come to you and I will admit, I don't know how to rebuild the entire wall. But I do know it needs to be rebuilt. So I call us to put our hands to the work. So here are three strategic things that I would like for us to engage in in 2023 to set us up for the future. And I'm going to give us focuses on these three things, but let me give them to you so you can have them. We need disciplined people with disciplined thoughts and disciplined actions. Disciplined people, disciplined thoughts, and disciplined actions. You may ask, how does that work out? Well, let's start with disciplined people. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice that if we were to continue reading the book of Nehemiah, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I want you to listen to what happens in chapter 3 very briefly. Then Eliashib, the high priest, arose with his brothers and priests and built the sheep's gate. They consecrated and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to him, Zachor, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Next to him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hazkos, made repairs. And next to him, Mishalem, the son of Barakiah, the son of Mishabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. What are you noticing? What do you see? Do you see Nehemiah doing it all? No, here, ladies and gentlemen, he lists the names and responsibilities of each family, and he lists them by the names of men. Why? Why does he call out the men? Because when the men lead, the families will follow. Families would take personal responsibility for the community they wanted to influence. Every man in our covenant ought to be thinking about the role you are going to play in this rebuild. What role can you play in rebuilding? Stop asking for everybody to do something for you and get engaged. Get in the arena. So men... I am asking you, will you join me? All I have said to this point, oh my goodness, is not a resignation letter. If you think I quit, you don't know me. If you think for a moment that I'm going to resign myself to past failures, that I'm going to look at tomorrow based upon all that we've done yesterday, or I'm going to, I'm going to wallow in a lack of success, you again don't know me. Hard times are all a matter of perspective. Hard times are a matter of perspective. What do I mean? I want to give you an example of how perspective changes your thoughts. How perspective changes your thoughts. I want to give you one word. Are you ready? When I say the word retire, what do you think? When I say the word retire right now, what do you think? First thing that comes up to your mind, I just want you to just just think about it. What are you thinking when I say the word retire? For, for, For many of you, it means to reach an age of deserved rest and to live off your pension or your retirement until you die. So you travel the world in the seven seas, and by the way, you're always looking for something. But when I say retire, I am saying it in terms of the fact that you got four flats. And it's time to retire. Yes. You see how your perspective changes? It's time for us to retire. I got four flats. 
Now, I can sit there and complain about it. My kids and my wife will tell you that. If I had four flats on my car today, what is the first thing that's going to come out of my mouth? Praise God, I got a car that has tires with four flats. Because you can't have flat tires without having a car. You hear me? Praise God, He's been good to me. It's all a matter of perspective. Put tires on the car so that it's able to go. Let's retire this thing. I awaken every weekday morning at 4.30. 4.30 a.m. every morning. And I run three miles every morning on the, during the week for the purpose of one thing. Now some of you are going, okay, he's already lost me. I wake up every morning at 4.30 because I don't want to. And I run three miles every morning, every weekday morning at 4.30 for three miles. Why? Because I don't want to. Because at the very beginning of my day, I want to embrace suffering. I want to embrace suffering so that I am a man that doesn't quit, doesn't give up, or doesn't give in, or doesn't abandon his people, his family, just because he doesn't want to do something. Oh, there is more. But it starts here. Men being men. I have been working for the past six months on this idea. And for the next six months, men, you're going to hear about it. This year, I am committed to focusing on developing our men. And we're going to do it through five roles or pillars or identifications of biblical masculinity. Priest, prophet, protector, provider, presider. Five things. Priest, prophet, protector, provider, presider. A priest is a man who by God's grace is a living sacrifice. A prophet is a man who by God's grace proclaims the truth. A protector is a man who by God's grace provides protection and security. A provider is a man who by God's grace works diligently. And a presider is a man who by God's grace enjoys the responsibility to lead himself and to lead others. Men, I want to call you to something. We are amusing ourselves to death. We are amusing ourselves. Amusement comes from two words. Muse means to think, ah means negative. Amusing. That means we are doing things that requires us not to think. I cannot say this hard enough. Turn off your phone and spend it with your wife. Get off the games and spend it with your children. Stop playing, playing like you're a child and start being a man. Start doing things that require a man to be a man. Most of you need to get off social media. Let's rebuild this together. In our elders meeting this morning, this is kind of the things that we're thinking, right? In our elders meeting this morning, we asked ourselves, what's one thing that we can do for men? And here's the thing that we're going to do. We're thinking about it. We're not going to do it. We're thinking about it. Which maybe we're going to do it. I don't know. But what it would look like for us men to gather around a table, to circle ourselves around a table, and to sit back and go, okay, we will not pick up social media, a cell phone, a game, a Facebook, nothing, until we get that roof over there built on the Antioch house. 
Now, some of you may say, I can't be there on the Saturday. Y'all are going to rebuild it. And be there on the Friday. Go buy the nails. Go get the wood. Do what you got to do. Be a part. Own something. But we are going to do these kind of things where we're going to take ourselves and we're going to make sure that we take responsibility for what we're doing around here. Men, I'm going to call you to the carpet this year. I've done it a lot already, but I want us to do that. I want, to, I want us to do this together. Why? That's so important for you to understand. Because of our love of our King, our Christ, our Savior, our Lord, He deserves our discipline. And for each of these, I want you to know there is more. There is more objectives to being a disciplined people, but this will begin. This will be the start. All of us, for instance, must reorient our loves. We have to begin to reform our habits so that we can be the disciplined people that God has called us to be. But disciplined people must have disciplined thoughts as we seek to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And this starts with the dedication to the Word of God. The ability to confront the truth of your own life and then create the disciplines necessary to become better. As I tell men in my DNA all the time, do you know something? Two plus two equals four. Thank you. All the time, everywhere, even my children know it. Two plus two equals four. If you want to accomplish five, you've got to add one. You've got to change. Change is necessary. We must reform our thinking to Scripture and then be transformed by that thinking to what's next. We must follow the biblical mandate of meditating on Christ and His Word. With disciplined people, we have disciplined thoughts. We've got to get the thing between our mind, between our ears, to, to think and to engage with the Word. Most of the problems in this room are not from that which is outside of us. It's from that which we love and that which we think every day. Because we are not meditating and allow the Word of God to dictate our identity and our behavior. We are allowing the world and our faults and, and, and everything going on around us to dictate that. With disciplined people who have disciplined thoughts, we must have disciplined action. There are things that we have to do with, to grow. There are things that we're going to have to do to grow. We're going to have to. In order for us to move to the next step, we're going to have to make some changes. And this starts by developing a culture of ownership, individual responsibility, each of us doing our part, each of us engaging lostness, brokenness, and inviting others to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. Each of us stepping outside of our comfort in order to be obedient. I want you to do something quickly. Look at the empty chairs in this room. How many are you going to be responsible for by this time next year? We must also need to take some actions that will launch us for a season to growth. In order to rebuild, we've got to begin to look at what's going to launch us into this season in order to regrow. 
Much of what we have done is attempting at reforming to, our, to a very ancient past. You've known this. From our liturgy, from our, from our singing, from everything, we're trying to go back and say, wait, what's in our past? How can we bring it to the present? How can we reform our minds, our theology, our ideas? And we want to continue to do so. And this will begin by rebranding ourselves. Retiring. We got four flats. We need new tires. We don't need a new car. We need new tires. So in 2022, I have spoken with most of the charter members, most of the missional community leaders, and all, everyone on the leadership team. And we have had a discussion for months. And I have been ensured by those we have spoken with that what I'm about to present to you is a good move. So we are going to move forward as soon as possible. The leadership team unanimously voted, which will be brought up in our next business meeting, to change the name of our church. We will be moving from Pine Summit Baptist Church to Christ the King Baptist Church. We're going to remove our logo, which you have already begun to see used to the Cairo. Cairo, by the way, are the first two letters of the name of Christ, and it is one of the oldest symbols that Christians have used to represent themselves. This will create change. I know this. And I will explain it to you in the days and weeks and months to come. But this is all with the intention of grounding us in identity for the purpose of preparing us for a future that we believe God has for us by connecting us to a biblical reality and to an ancient past. Because to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, to be called Pine Summit is, is awkward. We only have one pine tree and we ain't even on a hill. There is no Pine Summit in the Bible. We are not in the neighborhood of Pine Summit. Pine Summit is untranslatable in at least two languages that I know of. So this is a strategic move for us. We want to do this so that we can begin to prepare ourselves for a future. And let me say, there is no greater reality than to root ourselves in the name of Christ our King. No greater truth. It is biblical, it is deep, and it is good. Christ the King, Baptist Church. In addition, we want to create opportunities for kingdom building within our faith family. Now this is a big deal, but I want to just kind of give you a brief hint at it. What if we created a subcultures of families who would join together to bring sustainability and financial to success to all of those who wanted to participate? What if we all got together and we decided, not because the pastor said so, but because we as a community see ourselves as a family. What if we all got together and just started buying a bunch of real estate? We started owning real estate in Escambia County. I mean all of us. I got a guy in here who knows a little bit about real estate. And Pine Summit becomes sustainable, not because we're working for Navy Federal, not because we're working for Walmart, not because we're working for some other big corporation, but because we have made sustainability here as a faith family. What if we come together and we just pull our resources together? It sounds a little bit biblical, doesn't it? Almost like we own nothing. We just bring it together because we want to, not because somebody's told us to. We as elders believe we are in need of focused prayer. By the way, this is a big deal, to create a subculture, but we also believe we are in need of focused prayer, both individually and corporately. 
And we are going to bring some focused changes to our entire prayer ministry. First, we are going to be having corporate prayer services on the fourth, on the four fifth Wednesday throughout this year. Again, the fifth Wednesdays throughout this year. The first one will be in March. We will all gather together as a church into this place, and it will be solely for the purpose of prayer. We are making changes to our Sunday morning prayer room. And this, ladies and gentlemen, seems insignificant, but it is a part of a much deeper and much more corporate purpose. We want more people to be involved in our prayer and our prayer ministry and all the things that we have, and we want to come together and we want to re-influence that. So as we begin to relaunch and retire this thing, I want you to see that what we are trying to do is to build a culture of a community of people that will desire to pray for all that we're doing. We're going to relaunch our covenantal requirements for DNAs in order to help build, better equip us for the work of ministry. And the relaunch is going to remove those of you who don't desire that level of development. It's going to reorganize us for growth and discipleship. I can't tell you how hard it has been over the past three years to push rope. Have you ever tried that? Now, for those of you who aren't in DNA, you're not going to know this. But for those of you who have led DNA, you're going to understand this. You gather with a group of men. I have my men. You gather with them. Have you read your Bible? No, haven't read my Bible. Then why are you here? Uh, I just kind of like being with you. Well, you've got to read your Bible. Discovering the truth is something that's essential. If you don't want to read your Bible, you don't want to grow. If you don't want to grow, why, how are you going to help me grow? How are you going to disciple me if you're not in the Word of God? What gospel truth are you going to give me if you're not in the gospel truth? How is that going to happen? And see, what I feel like I've been doing over the past three years through influence is trying to influence you to want to do it and trying to in some way provide this structure that, that I don't want to say I've tried to force it because that's not true. That never was my heart. But to try to give you a structure that says, hey, look at what we're doing. Hey, look at what we're doing. Hey, I feel like I'm, I'm like, you know, you're trying to get the kids to want to eat their broccoli. And I'm done. If you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. But if you want to run, if you want to be discipled, if you want to grow, then let's grow. Let's go. Let's retire this thing. Let's be disciplined people. Let's discipline ourselves. Let's be held accountable to those things. We will officially launch a new app. The new app is going to replace Slack in the months to come. It will house not only conversation threads, which we have now in Slack, but we have now developed this opportunity. Some of you are already on it. You've been through the beta process, by the way, kind of the beta testing, but it has our sermons so that you can go back and listen to the messages. We are looking at ways so that I can put my sermon notes onto that application so that you're able to then go and even read the sermon and possibly go back and look at the notes so that you can not miss what you want to have. Also, the Discipleship Journey Program that I've been working diligently on to write, we have, and we will continue to write, is on this, in, uh, uh, on this platform. We have event sign-ups on this platform so that when we do our events, you're able to go on there and RSVP so that we know how much money, I mean, how much money to spend, how much food to bring, all these kind of things that we can do, sending out the information. And I know this sounds very very small to you, but communication is a big deal. And we're not good at it. 
We're going to get better. We're going to probably God's grace. We've already begun to make some substantial changes within our leadership and our staff. Our office administration position, Ms. Brenda. She's going to be in the office now from Monday through Thursday. Offices will be closed on Friday. Nick. Nick Scritchfield is taking a sabbatical this year from student ministry and from the elder body. Our hope and our desire is that sometime within this year, Nick is going to be able to rejoin the elder body. We have already made the necessary changes to the student ministries. The students and the families involved with that are already informed. We have a team that is led by myself to pick up where Nick has left off. And although his leadership will be greatly missed, we have great plans for the student ministry. For strategic purposes, our leadership team and our ministry team meetings have changed. And this is important for those of you who want to influence these things. So if you would like to meet with us, and I would encourage you to do that, just let us know that you want to so that we can uh, schedule that. Our uh, ministry leadership team meetings take place on the first Sunday of every month at 8 a.m. in the conference room. The ministry team meetings are going to take place on the second Sunday of every month at 3.30 in the fellowship hall. Since it continues to be necessary for me to personally be uh, responsible for chairing the missions team, and that is a necessity, I have been unable and and I am still unable to consistently be a part and lead the other standing ministry teams. I just can't be in three or four places at one time and lead them all. So with that change, I have assigned two, our two elders to chair those teams in my place in order to provide more consistency in their practices and leadership. Jeremy Jansky is going to chair the personnel team that is going to be joined by Kristen Parker, Russell Van Diepen, and Tristan Ertle, as well as oversee our gatherings and worship. Rick Hollis is going to chair our stewardship team with Mary Graves, Megan Whitson, and Candy Leggett, as well as oversee spiritual disciplines and counseling. I will continue to be over vision, preaching, leadership, missions, and whatever, whatever else is thrown on the old plate, including the next generation. We have one deacon rolling off this year, Dan Kayapo, but the rest are going to continue to serve. Terry Grave has been elected to serve as chairman of the deacons. Jim Parker will serve as vice chair. And he, uh, them two are joined by Donnie Leggett, Gordon Jansky, and our newest ordained deacon, Aaron Basie. Big plan. So this is, leaves us to our final part of 2023. And this is where you come in. Will we do it? Will we act? Church, I I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one of those people who are just hearers of the word and not doers of the word. I am asking, will we act with courage? A courage that is necessary to grow God's kingdom here as it is in heaven. I am begging. I am begging for you to rebuild with me. I am asking for you to find your place and do this together in unity. Men, are you ready for this challenge? Do you want to rebuild? Do you want to reform? Will we join arms and do it with joy of having Jesus as our ultimate satisfaction? Will we come together 
And some of you are going to be able to look back on this moment in history. And you're going to go, you remember that time when attendance was down, giving was down, we were, bar- we were struggling. It was challenging. Do y'all remember that? And then you're going to look back and go, yeah. But I was a part of rebuilding and retiring that thing. It was Theodore Roosevelt. He wrote one of my favorite quotes. And it is a challenge for me, and I read it frequently. And I wanted to read it to you. Because I know what's happening in our minds. You're wondering, how is this going to happen? What are we going to do? All these things. And I've been there. I've done that. Trust me. Here's what Theodore Roosevelt wrote. The poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. There are many men who feel a kind of twisted pride and cynicism. There are many who confine themselves to criticism of the way others do what they themselves dare not even attempt. There is no more unhealthy being, no man less worthy of respect, than he who either really holds or feigns to hold an attitude of sneering disbelief toward all that is great and lofty, whether in achievement or in that noble effort which, even if he fails, comes second to achievement. A cynical habit of thought and speech A readiness to criticize work with the critic himself never tries to perform. An intellectual aloofness which will not accept contact with life's realities. All these are marks, not as the possessor would feign to think of superiority, but they're marks of weakness. They mark the men unfit to bear the part painfully in the stern strife of living, who seek in the affectation of contempt for the achievement of others, to hide from others and from themselves their own weaknesses. The role is easy. There is none easier. Save only the role of the man who sneers alike at both criticism and performance. Here it is. Ready? This is so good. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. You see, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But he who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. In the words of Revelation, You are lukewarm, and I spit you out of my mouth. I don't know what 2023 holds. We may very well fail, but we're going to fail, striving great things. Uh, We may succeed, 
And if we succeed, we're going to succeed striving. Great thing. May not a man at the end of this year be able to look back and place himself with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And I believe that the reason there are so many men that have given themselves over to this lukewarm reality of just getting by is because you have given yourself the option of knowing neither victory nor defeat. You fear failure so much that you're not willing, you're not capable of engaging what it actually means to succeed. Will you join with me? Faith family, as we look at the stories of scriptures, we are often taken back of the people of God who are responded with courage. And for those of you who are here, I want to say something to you. Come, behold the works of God, the nations at His feet. He breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. O mighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire. O God of Jacob, fierce and great, you lift your voice to speak. The earth it bows and all the mountains move into the sea. O Lord, you know the hearts of men and still you let them live. O God who makes the mountains melt, come wrestle us and win. For the Lord of hosts is with us. He is with us in a fire. He is with us as a shelter. He is with us in the storm. And He will lead us through the fiercest battle. Or where else would we go? But go with the Lord of hosts. So faith family, that is my call to us today. We reflect on 2022 and by God's grace, each of us are here. We look forward to 2023 and the many changes to come. The many plans that we have set forward before us. And I am asking, I am begging for us to join together. For us to move forward as a faith family. As we look to God's grace. To His love. And for His glory. We please stand to your feet. I want us to take a moment this morning as we come to the place of the Lord's Supper and we're reminded of His body and His blood that the only way we can accomplish the goals that we have, the dreams that we have, the desires that we have is if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we're going to do this, church. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the only way we're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit is if we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So, before we come to the Lord's table, I want to ask all of us to bow our heads and to go before Him in prayer. Listen to me very carefully. If you're in here and you do not know the Lord as your Lord and Savior, I would call you to repentance and faith, to trust in Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, for you to trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. 
and to you, for you in that moment to come and join us as we seek to be obedient to God and His Word. And if you would do that, then follow through in baptism. And for those of you who have, for those of you who haven't done that, then I would ask for you not to participate in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is meant for those who call Him Lord, who call Christ our King. And if He is our Lord, if He is our King, if He is our Savior, if He is our, if he is our Redeemer, then I invite you to come to the Lord's Supper and to participate in the elements together. But before we do that, let us go before our Lord and Savior together, faith family. Let us bow our heads before our King. And let us repent of our sins. Let us ask Him for His forgiveness. Let us not enter into this table in an unworthy manner. And let us desire His Spirit so that we may move forward with courage. Let us pray.